Welcome back to HodgePodge. Today's guest is acclaimed Southern fiction novelist, Bren McClain. Her brilliant and beautiful debut novel, One Good Mama Boone, won the 2017 Willie Morris Award for Southern Fiction and the 2018 Patricia Wynn Award for Southern Literature. It was also named Pulpwood Queen 2017 Book of the Year, a Southeastern Independent Booksellers Association okra pick, and a finalist for the 2018 Crooks Corner Prize, among other accolades. The novel can also claim international in its credits with its publication in France. It was retitled as Mama Reb and selected for the Maya Award, France's Animal Literary Award. Bryn is a contributing essayist in Our Prince of Scribes, Writers Remember at Conroy. She is currently working on her next novel, which has already earned the gold medal for the William Faulkner novel in progress. Stay tuned for more with the fabulous storyteller, Bren McLean. Welcome to HodgePodge, Bren. Oh, gosh. Welcome back to you. Man, this is a real, real treat. <laughs> I, I am so honored um, to talk to you today. I just want you to know that I am absolutely in love with your award-winning novel, One Good Mama Bone. Oh, my gosh. Can I give you a hug? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'd love it. I, I just, it spoke to me, um, it really touched my soul, and um, especially the main characters, um, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, yeah, you've listened to the book, Sarah, Sarah right, right, I was telling you earlier that I, I chose to go the audible route and listen mm -hmm. to your narrated version um and it your your narration was beautiful um oh. and your capture of each character was just perfect um it really is truly a quintessential southern tale and um it's oh. definitely in my top list now oh, oh my gosh oh my God. thank you thank you thank you what an honor thank you well thank you um so before we jump into me asking you all the questions about the book <laughs> and all the characters and all the good bits and pieces of it, um, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and your journey to publishing this beautiful book. Oh, well, I think it would be fair for me to say right off the bat, Allison, that I am a 27-year overnight success <laughs> oh that gives I'm, me hope <laughs> well listen I'm telling you something you can't give up because if you give up there's your fate right there mm -hmm. you've just sealed it I think if you feel compelled to write and I certainly do I feel it's part of the reason I was born uh, at this time uh, was for me to write. And if, if writers believe that, if people believe that, then you, you've got to stay with it. And I am so glad that I stuck with it. Actually, One Good Mama Bone is the third novel I wrote, but mm. the first to be published. And so that's why I say 27 years. I, I never gave up. Um, so the first novel, I... I wrote, I got a New York agent, she couldn't sell it, blah, blah. Then I wrote this second book, 
she no longer was an agent. I tried to get another. It was going nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, then I, I wrote One Good Mama Bone. And, you know, time is ticking now. I mean, years are going by. And I had no idea it would take this long. But nonetheless, I wrote One Good Mama Bone and, again, tried to get an agent. And, you know, Allison, I don't think agents slash New York knew what to do with a novel that prominently features a cow because mm. they were going, huh, huh, huh. I had one agent say to me, well, Brand, does the cow talk? It's like, <laughs> uh, no. And in my mind, I'm thinking, not the right person. She doesn't right. get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't get an, I didn't get an agent, but I was very, very lucky because my paths crossed with a gentleman named Jonathan Haupt, uh, a man who was the publisher for the University of South Carolina Press. And actually, I met him at a writer's conference in Charleston. And I knew that he was administering uh, Pat Conroy, the Pat right. Conroy, you know, yeah. the famous writer, Pat Conroy, who had just started his own imprint called Story River Books under the University of South Carolina Press. Why? Because so many Southern writers were being passed over by New York. Mm -hmm. So I had just read that. And so I meet this guy, Jonathan Hout, and I told him about my book. And he said, Brand, send it to me. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Allison, that when I, I hit send on my computer and sent, sent my baby to him, mm -hmm. do you know that I felt I was stepping in to what was set up for me? Mm. After all this time, all of those books, all of the struggles, I knew, I knew, I knew it was going to be a go. It took one year because the approval process for a university press is incredibly strenuous. I had to get through five readers. And if at any step that person said no, then the manuscript falls out. If it says yes, then you keep moving. And so mine kept moving until it got to Pat Conroy himself, which to think that he right. read, read my yes. book, you know, <laughs> much less wanted to publish it. So that took a year and it, and it truly came to pass. And I got to tell you, looking back on it, it was the perfect home for me, mm -hmm. the perfect home. And so ultimately, you see those 27 years, ultimately, it all worked out. Yes, that oh, gosh, I've got goosebumps because <laughs> <laughs> just from, from my own personal journey as an aspiring Southern historical fiction novelist, mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and all the rejection letters that come and oh. all of the, you know, it is so hard. And then all of that love and time that you put in creating a really beautiful story I cannot imagine um how that feels and for it to fall <laughs> into Pat Conroy's hands. oh my gosh and so let me tell you one quick story I was thank goodness able to thank him for publishing me and this would be five months before he passed away mm -hmm. um, and you know he didn't even know he was sick at that point and I, I met up with him and I said Mr. Conroy I want to want to thank you for publishing me and he said 
what's your name? And I said, yeah, Bren McLean. He said, eh, he don't remember my name. He goes, hey, hey, what's the name of your book? And I said, <laughs> One Good Mama Bone. And, and Allison, he just flung his big old wide arms and he screamed out, the cow. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. and, you know, and so what New York didn't know what to do with or make sense of, it's what he welcomed. You see, mm-hmm. that's how I knew I had the right home. And so what a wonderful and path it was. You know, it was a long path, but I'm telling you, I want to say one more time. Ultimately, it was the perfect way for it to happen for me. Definitely. And, um, and I'm so glad that it found a home (laughs) and found its way to a reader like me, because I, as a Southerner, a native Southerner of North Carolina, you know, I, uh, it's important for us to be able to see our stories and um, things that we can identify with. Um, But it would, it would touch so many other people too. So um, Mm. again, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been able to, to, read your your beautiful book so you know one thing about it uh, you know it really is um a testimony for what motherhood is mm. and, and what motherhood should be um mm-hmm. I just the relationship between Sarah and her sweet boy Emerson Bridge Mm. um, is so beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired those characters and that Mm. relationship? You know, Emerson Bridge is is quite honestly based on the essence now. Okay. Not the, Mm -hmm. not the, but the essence of my baby brother. Mm. I, I always said, and his name is Jamie. I hope he doesn't mind me talking about him. <laughs> Oops, too late. Um, but I've always admired Jamie and always thought that his soul, his spirit, his inner core was like a baby fawn. Oh. I always thought that he's, sometimes I think he's almost too good for this world. He's oh. a very gentle soul Mm -hmm. and so now I I gotta tell you though when I created Emerson Bridge though I didn't think oh Jamie you know it wasn't until later after I got this little precious boy on the page that then I realized that my brother had been a major influence in the creation of Emerson Bridge right and so uh that's that's what that is and people ask me all the time where did Sarah you know, come mm-hmm. from is, you know, because I got to tell you, I don't have any children. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, but, but, but I had uh, a mother who was my best friend. I lost her. I can't believe this, but 20 years ago this mm. year. Yeah. But she and I were best buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we worked together, we would have hung out, even though our age difference was, you know, wide uh, but my mom and I just had this special something something and it's really the reason I wrote the book is because I wanted to honor my own mother so so who Sarah Creamer my mother did not have Sarah's circumstances at all zero zero but let's go back to somebody's core and essence because that's what I think I really tap into as a writer is their essence their spirit their soul 
And I think that my mother, if, if she had been put in these circumstances, let's just say, okay, I think my mother would have done this. I think my mother would have rolled this way. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, what I like to do with characters is this. I, I, I like to, and this is hard to do, you know, you're a writer, you know this. It's hard to put the squeeze on them, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's hard to put, put them under those pressure circumstances and just bring on the trouble, just bring on the hurt. But as writers, we've got to, and I'll tell you why we've got to. We've got to because under that pressure, under that squeeze, it's only then that we and the characters see what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. So, right, if I had not put the squeeze on Sarah Creamer, she would never have known. She would never have shown herself what she showed herself. So back to who she is. I think it's my mother under that same kind of pressure. Mm, I love that. That's um, Sarah, she, her circumstances were, were pretty horrible. <laughs> well, I mean, this, she had, this. she had really been through so much in her life and, and the way she became a mother um, was a whole other um, <laughs> issue, you know, um, that she had to overcome and, she was always, she was just so good. Good, good. She was so good. Wasn't she in her core? Yeah. She was so good. I mean, some people have called her saintly almost. Yes. And let's talk about Mama Red, my oh. other favorite mama in oh. the book. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mama Red, the um, mother of Lucky, the beloved cows of Sarah and Emerson Bridge. Um, it, talk a bit about where that storyline came from mm-hmm. um, and how you develop Mama Red. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, you probably can hear my voice a little bit. I kind of teared up when you said her name. Um, Mama Red is based on a real cow on my family's farm. Mm. A cow whose path I crossed November 5th, 2007. And yes, absolutely, I remember the date. I had, I was living along the coast of South Carolina at the time, and I had driven to see my father, who lives on the farm in Anderson, actually where the book is set. And, and, and Allison, it was on a Sunday afternoon. I drove up and, and, you know, saw Daddy out with the cows and said, hey, blah, blah. And he was doing something that farmers do, and that is wean the calves from the mamas, typically at age six to eight months, because they're hoping the mama cows are are pregnant and they'll need that good nutrition for themselves and the new baby. So what they do is they take the six to eight month old baby and put them aside. And if, 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 if you've never heard what that sound is like, it is, it's, it's, it's harrowing. It's primal. Mm. It's guttural. It's, Oh, oh it's heartbreaking. It, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> and you know, many cows become hoarse, lose their voices, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was into this scene that I arrived. Um, like I said, said hello to daddy. I probably cooked supper for him that night. We probably watched TV and I went to bed. Here we go at five in the morning, the next morning, those sounds that I've been describing to you. 
woke me up out of a dead sleep. I get up, I get dressed, I go out to the pasture. I see at a quarter fence, these mama cows leaning on the fence posts, calling for their babies, their bodies trying to break the fence down to get to them. Those babies are about 30 yards up the grassy lane doing the same thing, calling Mm. for their mamas. And it's, it's this kind of back and forth sound. And, and, and Allison, I was standing there and those sounds just got in my bones. It, it, I, I felt this electric current just start to cycle through me. And I knew in front of me was the missing piece about mothers that I was needing. You see that second book mm-hmm. I'd written, Willie June, was mm. also a story that I wanted to celebrate mothers, but I didn't pull it off. It was a failed novel. It just mm-hmm. did not work. So I put it up. So here in front of me is what I've been waiting for. For so I go over to the to the cow in the in the deep corner whose eyes were cut at me. I felt pleading to bring her baby back. I went over to her and I said, "Sweetheart." Okay, this gets me still. I can't bring your baby back, but I can tell your story. And so at that moment, boom, I made cows the centerpiece of the story about mothers that I really wanted to celebrate. A few days, weeks later, my daddy called me up and said, Bran, don't get mad at me, but, and of course, we all know that's (laughs) Not a good way to start a conversation. <laughs> and I just kind of held my breath. And daddy said, that mama cow that you've lost your mind over, Bren, I'm taking her to the sale tomorrow. Oh, and for people that don't know what that means, that's kind of a euphemism, all right? Mm-hmm. For uh, a word that I don't think I can say out loud, but I can start off spelling it. S-L-A-U-G-H-T, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I fell apart. I said, Daddy, you can't. He said, Bren, he said, she's old. I should have already done it because Mama Red was 16 at, at the time. Uh, I said, Daddy, no. He said, I said, Daddy, you cannot. He said, Bren, I've got to. And here's the deal about small farmers. Uh, money. It's a business. Right. Money. And, and my daddy actually said to me, Bren, listen, hey, I need the money. Mm-hmm. And I said, Daddy, how much? And, I, and he said, I don't know. I said, no, no, you give me a figure. And my daddy said, $1,000. And I told him, the check is in the mail. Oh. I sent a check for Mama Red and uh, went home to Anderson, back up to Anderson, and told her she could live out her days um, in safety and love. And so uh, this is what gets me because... Uh, she did, but I lost her last July. Oh. Last July 22nd. But she lived to the ripe old age of 29 years old. Wow. And, and I was just visiting her grave last week, so that's why it's a little fresh, a little fresh to me. But so, um, you know, people say, Brian, why'd you write it? Why'd you put a cow in a novel? Why didn't you write about a horse or something, for goodness sake? <laughs> and I, I tell the story I just told you because, because... I'm the kind of writer, Allison, I feel for me to put in the weeks and weeks and months and months it takes for me to write a novel. 
I feel as though I must be chosen to tell the story. And I feel as though Mama Red chose me. And so that's what gave me the endurance all this time to stick with it, to put her story, you know, on the page. And so this novel really is because of the promise I made to her. And it's why it's so personal to me. Right. The purity of love, you know, and, and sacrifice of mothers, you know, that is such a, 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 a common theme throughout this too. Mm -hmm. And, but mama red being such a, you know, you, you never think about that, about the weaning away and losing their babies and that it does have an emotional, um, psychological effect on, on a cow like that. But she just, you know, her, her whole life was to be that mama and totally. and it really is uh, so um to to think about and and to read about um another set of characters in the book um that have a much more polluted <laughs> relationship. <laughs> oh yeah. I know where you're going. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. That old daddy, Luther Dobbins. Luther. Wow. Piece of work. Man. Yeah. And his poor <laughs> little boy, Elsie. Oh. oh, bless him. Yeah. And, and Elsie and Emerson Bridge to me were very similar boys. And I liked mm-hmm. that you showed the innocence of boys in particular. I'm a, a mama to a boy who's nine. Okay. <laughs> and, oh, goodness. Yes. And so that sweetness and that innocence in that that is inherent in boys um we always assume that they're just wild and rough (laughs) and all these things but they're not Mm -hmm. you know they're not and they definitely (laughs) can do those things (laughs) yeah but they are just human and they have emotions and feelings that need to be loved on and nurtured and Elsie's father did not have that ability. No. no, no, he did not have that ability. And that's, you know, we all carry shades of lightness and darkness in us. We all mm-hmm. have those components. We, we do. We have sure. both, both sides. And I think with Luther, what we see is we see it, you know, intensely. Yes. Uh, you know, he is a wounded man who fights against that, but he, he wants to be a good man. He, he has a want mm-hmm. to in there. He has it. I mean, we saw him live for yeah. six days as a good man. <laughs> right. You know, it's that struggle in Luther that's on the page, you know, to be a better man. Yes. And, um, Elsie's mother and Luther's wife, Mildred, mm-hmm. she, she is such a sad character because mm. I feel that Mildred is a good person. She wants to be a good mama, but Luther just puts her down and in her place. He's so unhappy um, mm-hmm. and just makes her so miserable. And poor Elsie is the, you know, <laughs> the yes. party to that. And, and um, it's, it's a very heartbreaking storyline. 
<laughs> mm. Yeah, you know, it's a you know, you didn't ask me how I created Luther. But right. How how I created Luther was was this. It's really simple, actually. Uh, Sarah sees her life in service to others. Mm-hmm. That's what she's about. So I just quite simply created a character that was the opposite of that, who right. sees others in service to him. And that's how I got started down that road. Right. Um, it definitely is too uh, white. Uh, the two shades, right? The white Truly. and black, total opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all works together, and it, it's such a beautiful analogy of good and evil, um, mm. and and what we need to embrace in our lives. And yes, we all have a little bit of that Luther in us that mm-hmm. flares up, and that we have to mm-hmm. to put away. Right? Yeah, right, right. And and we've got to call out for Mama Red and Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, you Sarah. like that? The I love Sarah. it. I love Sarah. it. Sarah, Sarah, to. You done- you done started on your teaching of me with my boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And just her private conversations with Mama Red. Oh, and it was, it, it was so beautiful. I want a Mama Red. <laughs> you want a Mama I, Red? <laughs> I have a Mama Red. I'm very lucky in my life, as you were, that I, I have a mama who, who everything was about, us and we're very close and mm. and we talk every day sometimes multiple times a day right? I love it I love it I love it and so I I just I love that the whole aspect of of these mothers and their goodness and and it makes me you know reading the story it's such a good reminder um it makes me a better person to mm. know it um, because you, you definitely want to strive, uh, to reach that, that inner Sarah. Um, what advice do you have, um, outside of what you've already given, you've given so many <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful things, but what advice do you have for aspiring novelists, writers out there, um, and maybe, you know, developing their stories and are there any tips that, <laughs> that you have? <laughs> well, uh, well, first of all, I, I want to reiterate uh, about staying with it, not giving up, you know, ask yourself why you're doing it. I, and and I, I quite simply tell writers all the time, if you can walk away, then then walk away because it's just too hard. It's too hard to get what is in your heart and head down the page. And then, and then to try and interest a champion to take it forward. It is a lot of work. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And if if you don't feel like called to do it, I, I say, go find what it is you are called to do. But if you are, if you feel that this is what you must do, then mercy me, then give it your everything. You give it the time it needs and, and, and try not to benchmark your own journey against someone else's, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's all different. It's all different. For some people, Allison, I know you know some people, it's just kind of on the easy side if you think about it. Right. Uh, I, I've got a friend who, who wrote a book, took her about two years, and the first publisher 
she addressed, uh, took it, boom. Wow. <laughs> Just like that. And so try not, try not to benchmark and to honor your own journey. Yes. And in honoring your own journey to really pay attention to what naturally opens up for you versus trying to force something, trying to make something work, mm-hmm. you know, that naturally opening up, just kind of following the flow. Uh, keep your eye out for, for champions. Are you, you know, I certainly had some. Those who encourage you and stay away from people who, who don't, who want right. to poo-poo poo it somehow, you know, go towards the light with that. And so right. I think that's what I would say about the writer's journey itself. Um, and then the other thing I would say is if people have helped you and been good to you, you pay it forward. You help other people. You know, we're, I tell people all the time, we're, we're in this together. There's not a competition. Not at all. There's plenty of room for us all. And so what I try and do is pay it forward and help other writers come along too. Because uh, so many people were good to me, Allison. So many people. Right. And that is a, an important part. It's something that I've, I'm realizing, you know, how supportive the writing community is normally of each other mm-hmm. <laughs> normally always, yeah normally, i know, you know. <laughs> right not, not always. always right right but it is um and and that's just a very human thing to do anyway right mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we should we should be doing that i've got one other thing to oh, say yeah. before i before I, and, and become a good if you're not already be be a good literary citizen Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, support other writers, uh, you know, maybe read their manuscript, give them a blurb uh, back when we can resume in person, go to readings, mm-hmm. you know, go to your library, support your community. Right. Yeah, it's it's important. <laughs> I know. <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. That's that's great advice. Um so what new projects do you have coming up on the horizon? I, oh. I hear a new book is in the, in the works. It is. I just broke away from it to, to come in here and, and speak with you. It's, a, it's another book set in South Carolina. This one that is based on a real woman who lived. So I'm writing about another incredibly strong woman, totally different from Sarah, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, incredibly strong um, that grew out of some research that I did, uh, actually two to three years worth of research, because I got very interested in uh, something that happened in South Carolina in the 1950s. The federal government chose a quarter of a million acres to build the Savannah River hydrogen bomb plant. This was back in 1950 to go up against the Russians. And in Mm. order to do that, and and this, by the way, is the nation's largest use of eminent domain, the government ran 6,000 dirt poor farmers off their land. Seven little bitty communities were just wiped off the map. I got really, really interested in that story and started interviewing people who'd been thrown off their land. Uh, went through about 40 something case histories. 
Um, and when I, and when it came time for me to present myself for that, people kept saying, oh, Brian, you have to write that as nonfiction. That's just too good. You've got all these case histories. But Allison, I'm not a nonfiction writer. Mm -hmm. I'm a novelist. Mm -hmm. I like fiction, which means you use your imagination. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I just went to a room, a quiet room one day, and got a, a piece of paper and a pen and, and said, Brian, after all of this research, all of this research, all this time, what has stayed with you the most? So I started jotting down little bits and pieces of stuff. And then, oh my gosh, I remembered the story of this brother and sister. And quite honestly, of all of the people I interviewed, it's the one story that bothers me the most, that I can't shake the most. And it's, it's George and Eula Bates. The government did not need their entire farm. What the government needed to do is to run a four-lane blacktop through, boom, uh. middle of it to transport workers from North Augusta into the bomb plant. And Eula said no. This was incredibly um, different from what most people did. It was high patriotism at that time in our country. But Eula said, uh-uh, I ain't giving you the right of way. Get away, go, scram. What the government did was condemn her property. Uh, but here comes the bulldozers. They're going to come, they're going to come, they're going to come. And on August 27th, 1951, the bulldozers are about to come through her hogwire fence. Uh, Eula got out there with a rifle, held it on the bulldozer driver, he stopped operations. They called the cops. The cops came. The cops so-called got her and her brother under control. And Eula was 54 at the time. George was 48. Got them under control. Now, here's the part of the story. It's going to knock you out, okay? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm they, listening. This is why I'm writing the story. They hauled them both to the South Carolina mental asylum. Oh, no. Declared them both incompetent and kept them for 16 years. Oh, my gosh. True, true story. So what I'm doing as a novelist, because Eula's life went from bad to worse to even worse to even worse, and then she died. I don't want to write. I don't want to write that story. I want to write I want to write the story that she should have had. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm picking her up in 1978. This is first chapter. I'm not giving anything away. First chapter. I'm picking her up in 1978 when a woman I met, met her. And I'm rewriting the end of Eula's life to bring her justice. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm hooked already. Oh, it's a thank fascinating you story you know I think that's part of it too there are so many people out there that have lived these incredibly hard lives mm -hmm. and um you know to some other person they're no one right mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. th there's no status or celebrity um and the true heroes of our world are people like that that I do that stand up against injustice and yes. and so you are are bringing those those stories to us and that's so important and they're my favorite ones <laughs> oh thank you they're they're mine too i like yeah. historical too so that's what i'm working really really hard on and so 
I'm hoping to have, I, I edit as I go, and I know people say don't do that, right. but I cannot stop it. Uh, <laughs> I hope to have a good, good draft, a really good, good draft uh, early next year. I'm on track to, to deliver that. Right. And it has already received uh, the gold medal for the William Faulkner novel in progress. Is that Uh, correct? Well, I'm so blessed. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Yes. I know. (laughs) I am so, so blessed. But yes, it has. Wow. For a novel in progress. Yes. Man. Well, those 27 years you waited. (laughs) (laughs) It's surely paying off for you now. <laughs> well, you know, that's what I'm saying. Ultimately, it all works. You've got to just keep going. Pay attention to what unfolds and keep your butt in that chair and keep believing. Wow. Well, with those words of wisdom, um, I think it's fair to say that um, <laughs> that we're just going to be done here. <laughs> okay. I don't All think right. there's anything more to say after that. No, there's so much more. I could probably talk to you for hours and hours. But um, thank you so much. Oh. Where where do folks find um, a copy? of your your book uh mm-hmm. one good mama bone because they all need to go out and buy it right now <laughs> oh thank you well we'll let's cover the 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 audio version first sure. i mean you know audible is a big one i'm a big fan of independent bookstores I, yes i you know and so there's something called libro that mm-hmm. you can get you know with 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 those um again back to independent bookstores if you're interested in the book i would I would urge you to go to your independent bookstore and if they don't have it to let them order it for you. But there's also, of course, you know, the big A, uh, Amazon, right. That that people, that people can go to as well. And so those two outlets uh, would, would get you covered. All right. And then, so do we, do we have any idea of when the new book is (laughs) Manuscript is going to be released. Well, you know, I'm going to have to find another publisher because story with Pat's death, Story River Books is no more. I'm very, uh, very blessed, Allison, because Mm -hmm. I have a a literary agent now. I have one who signed me up for my Eula story. So the plan is, I get it to her early next year. I'm sure she'll want some edits, but for us to sell it next year and you know publishing is long so Mm -hmm. I would imagine at the earliest earliest it will be late 23 I would imagine okay all right I I would imagine well I'll put it in my mental cue (laughs) (laughs) thank you for asking you are such a great interviewer oh how kind of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, everyone uh, that is listening, I hope that you have loved our conversation today with the fabulous Brim McLean. <laughs> and um, you can find links to her website um, and where to, to purchase her books and to learn more about Bryn and keep up with her in the accompanying blog post for today's uh, podcast. Again, Bryn, I cannot thank you so enough um, for writing your beautiful book and for being a guest today. Oh, oh it's, it's my honor, really. I am deeply humbled 
that you'd want to talk with me. And we're all in this together. And I love <laughs> our community. I love the tribe that yeah. we have. Yes, it's awesome. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. I certainly appreciate you. And please stay tuned next time for more here on HodgePodge.